Awesome. Uh, so good to be here to, with everybody here this morning. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, as a church, uh, one of our core values, our stated core values is transformation. And it's just kind of a big fancy word for just saying that we want to see our lives be changed. And when people have genuine encounters with Jesus, their lives do indeed become changed, sometimes changed in the moment and, and often uh, changed over a journey. And that's because God's into relationship, but transformation is one of our values here at Wellspring. And this morning, we're beginning a new message series that we're launching called Lives Changed by Jesus, where we're going to look at uh, 10 stories from the New Testament, a different one a Sunday over the next little while of people's lives in Scripture and the New Testament specifically who were changed by Jesus. And all of them were very different stories. And so we're going to be on a journey together here, Sunday by Sunday, taking in a very different story every week. But there's one common factor to all of them, one single thing that every person has in common, and that is a life-changing encounter with Jesus, where they become different on account of meeting Him but before we go to this first story that we want to look at here as we launch this morning, I want to ask you a question kind of on a fun, interactive level, on a scale one, from, sorry, from zero to ten. How open are you to trying something new? That's the question I want you to engage with this morning. Zero being, I am not open at all, to ten being, I'm just about open to anything. Uh, whether it be you know, a new workout routine, a new food, new brand of car, new product of some kind, zero to 10, how open are you? Now, just, you know, let's just keep things, you know, on the up and up here this morning, like a little honesty, right? So I don't want you to ask yourself. I want you to ask the person that you came with this morning the answer to that question. So with the person beside you, or if you came on your own this morning, that's all good. Just imagine the person who knows you best. What would they say to that question? How open are you? 45 seconds, go. I'm surprised. Uh, over, <laughs> over the years, over the years, maybe that's a good sign of transformation. Over the years, I've, I've become a lot more, I think, open to new things. It took me about 10 years to try Indian food, but I love it now. It's, one of my, it's truly one of my favorites. And here's my point in asking that question of you this morning, that question, that question of self-reflection. It, it's simply this. It's, an, it's kind of a, an observation that all of us at one time or another need a little bit of encouraging or help to be open at times, or maybe to stay open, especially as time goes by, especially as, you know, we sort of get older. Spiritually speaking, 
statistics are pretty clear that show that we are most naturally open to belief and specifically belief and faith in Jesus before the age of 13. And after that, people's openness to the message of the gospel, generally speaking, becomes less and less. In fact, uh, there's a, an organization called the Barna Group who does a lot of research, and they found that the sweet spot of a person's openness or responsiveness to faith in Jesus, to the message of the gospel, is ages four to six, which says a lot about the importance of, of kids' ministry that we've sort of been shamelessly promoting here this morning, um, and for obvious reasons, because so much is at stake in the lives of our next generation. But this morning, we're going to look at the story of a woman who is no longer a child, well past the age of 13. We don't know her exact age, but clearly she was not an adolescent. She was an accomplished career woman that we find in the Scriptures who was looking for something more to her life. And the Scriptures show us that she found it one day in encountering Jesus and that from that point, she was never the same. As the book of Acts tells us we were, where we read about her, that the Lord opened her heart in hearing about Jesus in a way that became for her life-changing. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bible this morning, whether it's on your app or old-school paper Bible, but I, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to, to read the book yourself. And so turn to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 16. We're just going to look at just a couple of verses this morning that have a greater context, verses 11 through 15, where Luke, the writer and narrator of the book of Acts, who also authored the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke, he writes these words about this woman that we're about to meet in Acts 16, verses 11 through 15, where Luke writes, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. She was named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And then our passage closes with saying, and she persuaded us. Father in heaven, this morning, we just want to just pause once again and just say thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we are dependent upon you, illuminating its truth to our hearts. And we're dependent upon you for giving us the heart to respond to it. That our lives, Lord Jesus, would truly be transformed according to who you are and the truth of your word. And so I pray that on account of our time this morning, we would be that much farther along in our journey with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, to give this uh, story of Lydia context in the bigger picture of what God was doing, we remember that 
the book of Acts really is the book of the New Testament that chronicles and follows the birth and expansion of the early church and the missionary journeys of the apostles, mostly the apostle Paul, as the Holy Spirit would lead Paul from one place to the next to share the good news of Jesus. And that's what he was doing in, in this chapter of 16. And here in chapter 16, we pick up with Paul and what scholars identify as his second of his three main missionary journeys that we know about that are written about in the scriptures as he goes about taking the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, wherever he could. And it brings him to Macedonia. And on this particular journey, Acts 16 tells us that Paul had actually been making his way westward from the Roman province of Asia, which is now located in what we call uh, the country of Turkey. But he was moving from Turkey, so that's east, west, west, (laughs) your west, into Europe, to Macedonia, to a place called Philippi, to where Paul would later write a pastoral letter, which we now call the book of Philippians, which is found in the New Testament. Philippi is where Lydia lived. And Philippi was not the capital of Macedonia, but it was an important city, as, it, as we were told. And part of that reason is because it was part of a district of a Roman colony to the empire of that time. So it was a major place. And as Paul arrives, he, he does what he always does in coming to a new place that he feels compelled by God to go to. He begins spreading the message of Jesus. That's why he came to Philippi. That's why he was there. But Paul's M.O. was to do that by beginning with people that he knew very well, the Jewish community of, of that particular place he was in. And so Paul would always seek out the Jews of his city in arriving at a place. And that's partly because Paul was Jewish himself. That was his background. But also, more importantly, the gospel itself, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus arose out of God's word to the Jews, if you know your history, out of the promises that God made in the scriptures to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. And in fact, when you read the book of Genesis and you read about an encounter that Jacob had, you see that following that encounter where he wrestled with God, God renamed him as Israel. And that's where the Jews get their name, Israel. And so as a Jew, Paul had believed in the Old Testament scriptures himself. He knew the Old Testament laws and scriptures, and he did his best to live by them and according to them prior to encountering Jesus himself. And so Paul would go to the Jewish community of a city by first going to the local synagogue, the local place of Jewish worship where he knew he would find Jewish believers seeking God who likely had not yet heard that all of God's promises in the Scriptures were now and had now be fulfilled in Jesus. The promises of a coming Messiah, a Savior who now we know is Jesus. In the book of Acts, Paul goes from place to place, and you read as a, uh, what happens as the book of Acts chronicles for us what happens, and he gets a range of responses from people, from positive to curious to outright rejection and sometimes persecution because Jesus changes things. Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes the status quo. And sometimes that brings friction. Change brings friction. But the change that Jesus brings, even if it does bring friction, is always a change that is good. A change that is good reflects God's goodness and reflects a new priority around the goodness of God and the truth of God. And so after spending time in a synagogue reasoning with Jewish believers from the Scriptures about 
them being fulfilled now in Jesus, Paul inevitably then moves on to non-Jewish people because God cares about those too, whom the Scriptures often call Gentiles or as the Jews call them. But in this story, in the details of Acts 16, as we read about the story of Lydia, we find kind of a change up in the pattern. We find that Paul doesn't go to a synagogue when he gets to Philippi. Instead, he goes out by the city gates down to the river to a place that was known in the local area as a place of prayer. And it's likely a place of prayer that Jewish people would go to. And that likely meant that there weren't very many Jewish believers in the city of Philippi because as historians will tell us, as many commentators will, it required in the ancient world 10 Jewish males to establish a local synagogue. And there was probably no synagogue in Philippi, which is why there was a gathering of prayer down by the river, because that had not yet been established. And so there were women down there pursuing God. Maybe when the men weren't, I don't know. But at this point in Acts, this is also the first time as we just kind of look at God's Word and look at the details of what God has provided for us in really valuing Scripture that the writer Acts of Acts uses the word we in telling the story. And up until this point, it's mostly all about Paul and Silas, but now it seems that Luke has joined the party. Luke has joined the mission team, if you will, and the three of them, Paul, Silas, Luke, and maybe some others. On the Sabbath day, the Jewish day of rest and worship, they go down to the river, and that's where they meet Lydia. And we're told that Lydia, again, was from Thyatira, and that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Purple cloth of that day, a valuable commodity. And Thyatira was across the way, back actually in the province of Asia Minor, in Turkey, where Paul had just come from, interestingly enough. And so she's also going westward in her journey. But Acts also tells us that Lydia was likely, in reading the description of her, was a successful career woman as she had a home and a household large enough and wealthy enough to show hospitality to Paul and his companions for an extended stay. Not just anybody could do that. And it seems she had a household, and not only a household, but one that could accommodate even more people. And she was likely the head of that household. As Luke says, it was her household when she and the members of her household became baptized in response to hearing about Jesus. And the members of her household followed her lead, Luke says. But most importantly, the detail that should stick out to us the most about Lydia, pre-encountering Jesus, was that she was a worshiper of God, it says. A worshiper of God. Now, in a lot of ways, you go, big deal. We're talking about the Bible. What else would she be? Um, but, but worshiper of God in that context actually carries more meaning. It, it refers to someone not Jewish, but worshiping the God of Israel. And so somewhere along her journey, Lydia came to seek God, the truth of who is God? Who's the one who made things? Who is behind everything that I see? There has got to be a power, a one who is holding things together, who has given breath to my life, who is who is orchestrating things. And so in her journey of seeking God, she comes to a place where she begins to put her faith and her belief and her trust in the God of Israel, in the God of the Scriptures of the Old Testament. And she is gathering with 
other Jewish women by the river seeking God in this Roman colony. And in not being Jewish, in being from a Roman city of Theatira, it's likely that Lydia had not been raised in a kid's ministry. It's likely that she wasn't raised in a Jewish family. Um, that she would have been raised in, in the religion and the perspective of the Greco-Roman culture that believed in, in many gods and in all kinds of things, a lot of ungodly things. But now in seeking after the truth of who God is, she is praying, she is seeking, she is going after God, and she's doing so in the company of Jewish women on the Sabbath day down by the river. And she's pursuing a God she doesn't yet fully know. And as one commentator puts it, it's at this point in the story where a miracle occurs in Lydia's life. Where in verse 14, if you read it with me, it says, The Lord opened her heart. In hearing Paul's message about Jesus, Something happened within her. That something was God opening her heart to begin to perceive and see the truthfulness and hope of the message that she was being presented about Jesus grounded in the promises of God from the Old Testament Scriptures. And it was the Lord Notice what it says. It says, it was the Lord who opened her heart. She did not open her own heart. Paul did not open her heart, though I'm sure he prayed that it would be open and was believing that God would. Why else would you present a message? But it says it was the Lord who opened her heart. God, in his gracious sovereignty, opened Lydia's heart to see the one she was really seeking to see the one in whom her heart would find satisfaction and the living definition of what is true. In Jeremiah, God says this. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It is a conditional promise, but it is a promise. But it does rest on this condition of being one who is willing to seek, to look, to look beyond, to be hungry for more than just this, the, the physical here and now. When Luke says it was the Lord, he's, he's actually technically referring, if you follow it closely, to Jesus, to Jesus. You know, Paul openly in his letters talks about God in a threefold Trinitarian manner. He says, he says, he talks about God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and then the Holy Spirit. In Philippians 1, that letter that Paul would later write to the church in Philippi, he opens in chapter 1 by saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then a few verses down in that same chapter, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three eternal persons. And hearing Paul explain the Scriptures, it says Jesus opened the eyes of Lydia's heart to then respond, it says. And that's something we can't do for ourselves. We cannot open our own hearts. Having an open heart is to have a believing heart. 
a receptive heart and a heart that doesn't just hear God and nod, but responds in action and obedience. And all of us, including myself, are in need of a heart being opened by God that we might come into genuine life, genuine life, the only life that we can enter into that is truly connected with God. We have a life right now that we have been given by the grace of God that Jesus, whether you believe in Him or not, is being sustained. But there is a measure of life and there is a life that is going to be eternal that we only enter into through Jesus, through having a heart that's been opened to Him by the gracious work of God, by His Spirit. You know, and throughout the Scriptures, we are warned against having a a hard heart toward God. And each of us needs to not only hear, but heed that warning in Scripture that tells us over and over again to guard yourself and be careful from having a hard heart. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 3, it says, today when you hear His voice, today, right now, When you hear His voice, not the voice of the preacher, but when you hear God speaking to you, however He is getting a hold of your attention, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And the writer of Hebrews says that because it just did not go well for them. And there was a season and even a generation of hardship that went without on account of the hardening of heart in not taking up God's offer, invitation, and word at His promises. The heart in the Scriptures is not just the seat of our emotions. We talk in our culture about the heart, and often really we're talking about the affections and the feelings of our heart, and that's good. The Scripture talks about the heart with greater dimension. The Scriptures talk about the heart in terms of the place of volition within us, the place where we decide who we are going to be, what we're going to do, what we're going to be about, what path we're going to take. But no matter how much we look for Him in the volition of our heart or see the hardness of our heart towards Him and having a moment of recognition where we are apprehended by Him in the moment and we begin to sense Him speaking, Only God is the one who can enable us to respond, really. Only God is the one who can get us across the line, so to speak. Only He is able to change the human heart. We can see our heart for what it is. We can see what it needs. But we cannot, in and of ourselves, regenerate, spiritually speaking, our own heart. Only God is able to do that. It is why the Scriptures speak of faith as a gift, But in the mystery of it, one, we have to be involved in receiving. And that's a great mystery, how we all come to that red line and cross the line in the mystery of conversion. But God's the one, the only one, who can grant us our desire to believe, our desire to have a soft heart, our desire to to live a different kind of life that's based on Him. We cannot do that in and of ourselves. Jesus said this in the Gospel of John, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. It's just not possible in and of ourselves, but with God anything is possible. 
And God makes it possible for us to cross the line of faith in the hearing about Jesus out of His sovereignty and grace. When God opens your heart, He, though, then wants you to keep it open. He busts the door down and comes in on account of His great grace. His light pierces our darkness. But in Him opening the door, we are then called to steward our heart, to guard our heart, to make precious the gift of faith that we have received. And so you've got to guard your heart. And having an open heart is not a one-time moment. It is a daily decision. It's not a one and done, but it is an ongoing inner state that we have. Seeing our inability as human beings to change ourselves, to, to really have a changed heart, even though we know we need it. In Ezekiel, God promises us a new heart using language of flesh and stone. If you read about it in Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll give you, sorry, I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a, a heart of flesh, God says, when we look to him. And by his spirit, and that's why we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and just so make your presence known to our hearts. It's because when we respond, to God's invitation, and, and out of our own volition, willingly invite Him in and, and bow our hearts, the Holy Spirit will come and begin to give you a new one. It is the promise of God for every person who will call on the name of Jesus. It is the promise. You may be sitting here today and saying, and maybe thinking a lie that goes something like this, I can't change. This is just who I am. I want to say to you that in the power of the gospel, that is not true. That is not true because the Christian life is one of being transformed from the inside out. However, a requirement is our willingness to cooperate with what God wants to do within us. And I want to give you this morning as we close just a couple of traits of a heart being opened by Jesus. What does that look like as you're maybe praying for it, looking for it, asking for it? You know, first we see in Lydia a heart that is seeking. We've been kind of saying that all morning long. She was someone pursuing truth and spiritual things. She had a heart that was seeking God, though she didn't have the full revelation of who God is yet. L Lydia was, as we said, from Thyatira. She was from a Greco-Roman background, not a Jewish background. And at some point in her journey, she began to see and discover the emptiness of the narrative that she had been given in her Greco-Roman world. And there is a narrative that we receive every day through media and our walk and others just going about our life in this area of the GTA that has an aspect of emptiness and godlessness to it that doesn't go anywhere beyond what we can see. And in Lydia's day, she began to see the emptiness of the narrative that she was given. And even though she still didn't have the full revelation and not yet hearing about Jesus, she came to see that there was truth in the scriptures about the God of the Bible. And not only that, but Lydia was someone who wanted more than just, and I will say just, a successful career and probably a really nice house. She wanted more. 
That was not enough for Lydia. Lydia was a woman of means and influence. It's obvious from the text. But clearly by her going down to the river outside the city gates, and I don't know how far away that was from the probably walls of her nice home, she met with others to seek God for more. That's what she was doing down there by the river, seeking for something more than material success. And when God begins to open a person's heart, they begin to search for Him. They begin to see that there's a dissatisfaction with life as it is apart from God, despite whatever life achievements there are. Some find out that early in life. Some find out that later in life, as we heard from Blair Sayers a couple of Sundays ago on Easter. They begin to become dissatisfied. They begin to see the emptiness of other religious claims. They begin to see the pointlessness of human prestige or wealth when it is disconnected from anything truly meaningful or, or purposeful beyond this life. And in causing her to begin seeking and becoming dissatisfied with what she had accomplished, this is what God was doing. He was preparing her. He was preparing her to meet Jesus. It was the love of God making Lydia dissatisfied and able to see the emptiness of the narrative. Here's the second trait. Lydia had a heart that responded with action and obedience. When she heard, it moved her to do something. It changed her life, not just maybe her reflective thoughts. In verse 14, it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond, not just to hear, smile, and nod, but to respond, it says. In the original Greek of the text, the word for respond is a word that also means to pay attention. And so she was leaning in with attention to hear what Paul was saying about what knowing Jesus means. And the response was real in showing up in action and obedience. The first action was being baptized. See, because Paul would have taught her the commands of Jesus, which is, hey, if you've come to a place of faith, this is, this is not a graduation, this is initiation. Show your community that you've made the decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and be baptized. And so that's exactly what she did. And it says her whole household did the same in following her faith example. And what an awesome morning that was last Sunday when we did that same thing. But Lydia also responded in action by quickly sharing her resources, as we said, to support Paul and his companions and helping them carry out the mission and share the message. And on top of that, Lydia's home would become the meeting place of the first church in Philippi. Amazing. Here's a third trait of a heart being opened by Jesus. It's a heart that is hungry for God's Word. Now, it's true that we don't directly see that in our text per se, other than knowing that, as we said, Lydia was a worshiper of God and she was doing so alongside Jews who used the Word of God as their foundation as we do the same today. But in another story in the New Testament that you may have heard, you might be familiar with, we see the same principle and trait of a heart being opened by Jesus, burning with hunger for Scripture. And at the very end of Luke's Gospel, the writer of Acts, in Acts chapter 24, Luke talks about two disciples walking down the road to a town called Emmaus, and they were talking about Jesus, and they were talking about His crucifixion, all His words, and now they had heard, because it was the third day, that He had been raised from the dead. 
And they're like thinking about all this and they don't know what to think. And they're just conflicted about what to believe. And Luke says they're walking down the road and the risen, resurrected Jesus shows up and sneaks up on them and starts walking alongside them. And if you don't think God has a sense of humor, you should read Luke chapter 24. And as they walked along, it says this, that Jesus began to lovingly talk with them. But more than that, he began to explain to them what they were talking about. And he began pointing out to them how that in the scriptures of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, all of this, Jesus coming, his crucifixion, and even his resurrection was prophetically foretold. And he began to talk with them about that. And then he stopped to break bread with them, something that Jesus had done right before his crucifixion, if you remember. And then it says this in verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> you imagine that? Just the moment they get it, he disappears. God, why do you do that? But then it says this, they asked each other after Jesus disappeared, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When God opens your heart, he opens to you also the truth of the Word of God, and you become hungry for it. Your hunger may, may go up and down and wane, but the Holy Spirit is always giving you a hunger, not only for God and His presence in Jesus Christ, but His Word. And there's been times where I felt dry and I feel like I've gone a little bit too long without engaging God's Word. And you know, when I go back to it, it's like, why didn't I come back to this well so sooner? But a heart that's being opened is a heart that hungers for God's Word. The Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of God's Word to your heart. And it is a Word that is always alive and active. Hebrews 4 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, the writer of Hebrews says, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. If you're bringing an open heart to the Word of God, God's going to illuminate and open up its truth to you, and it's going to speak to you. That's what it's being said here. And if you're having a, heart, a hard heart connection with Scripture, ask the Holy Spirit to do His thing, and things will begin to change. Here's the last trait of a heart that is being opened by Jesus. In Lydia, we see that suddenly she made her mission Jesus' mission. She tore up her personal mission statement, if you will, and took Jesus for hers. She got close with it. It says in our text that Lydia persuaded Paul to allow her to help in the mission and the activity of talking to people about Jesus. She, she offered her resources, and then she persuaded them to, to let her in on helping out and being involved. Sometimes in the church we make announcements asking for help. This was the opposite. She's like, how can I, Paul, let me help. I want in on this. And that is a, a trait of a heart that is being opened. And Paul said, if, she said to Paul, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, he's putting him on the spot. Come and stay at my house. And Luke says, she persuaded us. If you know your scriptures, Paul was reluctant to take a lot of gifts from people 
because he didn't want strings attached, and he wanted to be free to say and do what God asked him to do. But on this occasion, he receives it. In fact, if you read Philippians chapter 4, you will read Paul saying this to the church that got going at Lydia's house, from only you did I receive from. From only you, Lydia, did I receive from. He doesn't actually say Lydia, but that church which was at her house. So, um, But how about you? How open are you today, this morning, this moment? How open is your heart to God? In looking at the story of your life, do you see the traits of a heart being opened by Jesus? Have you been given the gift of faith? And have you been stewarding that gift in your life? If you bring your heart freshly to the throne of God this morning, to the feet of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and He'll begin to soften you and He'll begin to further transform you. And He is so good and so kind and so gentle. Often, usually, take it just one baby step at a time. Sometimes he throws you into the deep end, but then he jumps in right with you when you think you're going under. This is just the heart of God for you and for me. If you've been seeking Jesus, he wants, or just seeking in general, he just wants you to know he's the one that you've been seeking this whole time. Did you know, if you read on earlier in this same chapter of Acts, that that God quite dramatically rerouted Paul's journey from where Paul wanted to go in his best thinking so that Paul would be compelled to go to Macedonia to where God knew Lydia would be to hear the message because she was ripe for it. She was ripe for it. How about you? Is your heart ripe, ready, or is it hard? It doesn't matter because Jesus will receive you no matter where you find yourself this morning. And he will be good on any invitation to come in. Worship team, we would just love for you to come back and help us respond together. Would you get on your feet with me as we just further contemplate what God is saying here this morning? And through music, facilitate a heart response to the message of God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank You for Your goodness and Your kindness. We thank You that You've been drawing us to Jesus, frankly, our whole lives. You've orchestrated Your creation in such a way that we would scratch our heads and go, how is this all made? How does this work? There must be a God to bring us the revelation of Scripture that would ultimately point to you coming in the flesh. And Lord Jesus, you are now resurrected at the Father's right hand and you're pouring out your spirit on all flesh, as it says in the book of Joel and repeated in Acts chapter 2. And Holy Spirit, we just want to welcome your ministry here this morning and we want to freshly bring our heart to you. Why don't you just take this quiet moment 
before the band begins to lead us and bring your heart to Him. Acknowledge the condition of your heart this morning. Show softness towards Jesus by telling Him your need for Him. By repenting in your heart of things you know that He is not a part of. By asking Him forgiveness where you've hardened your heart to His Word or to His calling or to His nudges. Ask the Holy Spirit for a heart of flesh that beats after the things of God. Ask Him to give you a new heart. And maybe there's one issue in particular you're thinking of this morning that you just need to have a new heart about. Or you need to forgive somebody. You need to make a commitment to walk away from something. You need to go God's way, one way or the other. Jesus, we just bring our hearts to you this morning. And we ask you to do some surgery and some removal. And you pour in the life-giving blood of you shed on the the cross right into our, our heart. So we become alive to you again. Your mission will become our mission. Holy Spirit, this is not too big a thing for you to do. Thank you that you love us. And your desire is to take us from glory to glory as you would open the eyes of our heart and we would walk with you. And so this is our prayer this morning. Come build your kingdom upon our lives.